You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen. Great song that we're going to learn and sing as a church and uh, just rejoice in that. Hey, this morning, get your Bibles out. I want to dive into God's Word into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as we continue in our series, You, Me, and He. And today's message is entitled, Marriage is a Getting Personal Thing. Marriage is a Getting Personal Thing. It's a message today on intimacy. And uh, it's been kind of an interesting message to prepare for me. Um, probably laughed more in preparing this message than any other one because I kept saying to Sue, can I say that? She goes, no, you can't say that. Can I say that? No, you can't say that. So this message would have been an hour and a half long. It'll be 47 minutes because of all the things she told me that I can't say if she was going to be in the room. And uh, so, but it's a great topic and the Bible has some great things to say about intimacy and intimacy in marriage, and uh, we're going to launch into this message out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, and so let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control." Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and we hold it in our hands. And Lord, it deals with so many different aspects of our lives, so many different principles for us to uh, be able to live godly in an ungodly world by the power of your spirit because uh, we are in Jesus Christ. And uh, so, Lord, we uh, talk about intimacy today, and I pray that as we launch at this through your word, that, God, you'd be glorified in this message. You'd give us ears to carefully listen to what you're saying, Lord. What is it that needs to be revealed in my heart, my life, whether, whether you're married or you're not in the room? What do you need to learn? What are, we, are we listening carefully, minds, God, to understand it? But then, Lord, would you give us a passion in our heart to live these things out so that you would be glorified? We ask you to do this work for your fame and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, a uh, message on intimacy does create a little bit of tension in the room. And so uh, I thought I'd tell you a couple of stories, maybe to break the tension a little bit. The uh, story is told of the uh, old farmer and his wife who were uh, struggling in their marriage. And after much encouragement from his wife, finally the old farmer and his wife go in to see uh, the new pastor in their church, the young pastor, to get some help with their marriage. And the young pastor's working with them and he's listening to them and hearing the story and he finally stops and he says to the the old farmer he says um do you tell your wife that you love her he looks back at the pastor straight in the eye and he says of course not the day i married her i told her i love her and if i change my mind i'll let her know (laughs) see he's got a problem with intimacy 
So the next week, they go back to see the farmer, uh, the, the pastor again, and the uh, farmer comes in with his wife, and they're sitting there, and the topic this week is going to be about intimacy. But he knows he needs to move into it slowly and carefully, and so uh, he asks the old farmer, he says, um, do you kiss your wife? You know, your wife needs to be kissed regularly. And he's trying to work with this old guy, and the old guy's not getting it, and the young pastor's at the end of his tether. He doesn't know what to do, so he stands up from his desk. He walks around. He stands the lady up, and he just plants a big kiss right on her. He turns around, and he sits down at his desk, and he looks the old guy in the eye and um, says, do you get it? Sir, he needs, sir, she needs this twice a week. Do you get it? And the old farmer says, I sure do, Pastor. I'll bring her in on Tuesdays and Fridays. <laughs> See, for some of us, intimacy is a struggle in our marriage. And we're not getting it. And we're like that old farmer. And although it should be pretty obvious to us, it's not always obvious to us. And... Um, Sue and I were out uh, driving a few weeks ago. We were north of Belleville and went into a little country store, and uh, we found this sign that's going up in our bedroom. Um, I've got a bigger copy of it to show on the screen, but it says, always kiss me good night, always kiss me good morning. Now, I'm happy to tell you I do that anyways. I didn't need a sign to help me with that, but um, if you need a sign, like write it down, put it in your Bible, write it on the fridge, do something so that you'll be reminded. But um, what does intimacy look like in your marriage? And uh, how's that playing itself out? Um, Sue and I have a friend who grew up in a strong Christian home, and we grew up in the same church. And all of her life, she was taught at home, don't have sex. Sex is dirty. Don't have sex. Sex is dirty. Don't have sex. Sex is dirty. That's what she was taught. And on her wedding day, she was a virgin. And then they had struggles in their marriage because of intimacy. Because all of her life, she had been taught, don't have sex, sex is dirty. Don't have sex, sex is dirty. No, 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 no. God worked in her heart, and God worked that all out, and I thank God for them and, and the way God has worked in that. But see, she got taught the wrong thing. Well, sex isn't dirty, sex is wonderful. It's an amazing gift from God. We want to talk about its purpose and why we have it for us and all those things in just a few moments. But see, what she should have been taught was not yet. Not yet. Not yet. It's not for now. It's for something that God has prepared for you. It's for something God has worked through for you. So the answer is not no, no, no. The answer is this amazing thing that God has made is not yet for you and can be for you. You know, before we get too far into the message today, I, I want to make a, a comment to people who didn't get to the not yet because you ignored the no, or maybe you didn't even know. Nobody ever told you you weren't supposed to wait until you got married to have sex. And, and so you're going to hear a message and some things that are going to be like, yeah, but I crossed that line a long time ago, five people ago in my life. And the amazing thing is God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy and God is a God who forgives and God is a God who restores and as you hear this message today, and maybe some things are brought to light in your life that you need to work your way through, it's so amazing that we can come in confession and repentance, and we can drive a stake in the ground, and we can move forward from where we are right now, and you don't get to a place of, it's hopeless, I, I've, I've messed it up too badly, God is at work, and he will work, and for everybody in the room, there's hope in this area. 
But marriage for people, God's design for marriage is a not yet thing. Not a no, no, no thing. It's something that was designed for marriage. So getting personal, let's get to the context. Getting personal, let's get to the context. We find it in these verses. In verse 1, it says, And now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Okay, so just to get the context of the book, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, you find out, if you read it, you don't have to do it right now, but you'll find out Paul had sent them a letter. They'd already received a letter from them. It's not in our scriptures, but Paul had sent them a letter, and, and they're now responding to the letter, and they've sent him some questions or comments. And when you get to chapter 7, Paul starts to now deal with those comments. That's why it says in the text, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, that they've written him, and uh, one of the things they write him about and ask him about is a sexual activity. Um, and he's going to make it clear that it's for marriage, but it's also going to help those, especially the Greeks in the church who are kind of on the, well, if we don't have sex at all, then we'll be more spiritual. And it just is going to affect negatively our spirituality because of all the ramifications that come with it. And so he's going to kind of deal with those things in their lives. And so now that's the background to this. And that's why when it says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Paul says, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's not your wife he's talking about. It's about just any woman. Sex is designed for marriage. That's the way God prepared it. That's the way God designed it. Uh, that's what God had for them. And um, sex outside of marriage was not the way God designed the world to work, and it's not what he had for us. And look at verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. So he said, let's get the foundation straight. Let's make sure we understand this, that because of the temptation to sexual pleasure, each man should have his own wife. And each man should have his, her, each, each wife should have her own husband. And there's a mutualness here. There's a commitment here. There's a one-on-one -on -one here that was God's design from the beginning. And I'm so glad that God's word doesn't um, whitewash over sinfulness and poor decisions and people taking their eyes off of the Lord and we get to see people as messed up as they are and then we get to see God working in them and uh, working through them. But God's design was one man and one woman in marriage. In verse 3, he says this, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise, the wife to her husband. Again, we see this great picture of mutual submission. Two weeks ago when we were talking about submission and mutual submission, we went back to Ephesians 5, 18, and we talked about let's start with be filled with the Spirit because you'll never get to submission in any level in your spiritual walk, forget about with a spouse, unless you first of all get to the place of, I'm yielded to what Christ wants, I'm seeking to be sanctified by the Lord, I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. When God's Spirit fills you, then you can get to submission. And then in, in Ephesians 5, we get down a couple verses later, and he says that each one is submit to one another. The entire Christian life is a picture of mutual submission. This wasn't something when he got to the wives and the husband that was a surprise to them. They had already been taught about this. They already understood about this. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the text says. And then he went to, and wives, now you submit to your husbands. And husbands, you love your wife like Christ loved the church. You have this ultimate submission. 
And so as we come to the text here, we see he's back onto this area of submission in verse 3 where he says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her, her husband. That idea of conjugal rights makes it sound like, um, you know, I, I pull out the I've got rights card and I'm going to play that. And there is truth. It, the, the statement is that strong in the text. But the word means more than just that. Um, another uh, version would say um, the affection that's due her. That's another true rendering of the word. Or uh, another version would say they would meet the need of. Meet the need of. And you go, well, why is it different? Why is it different? Well, if I was um, speaking somewhere else in the world and I was speaking in English and a translator was translating, every word in English wouldn't hold the same weight it would hold in a different language. And so they would translate it and they would say what it is. So what it says is absolutely right. There is a sense of conjugal rights here where it's, I owe you. I owe you this. Um, See, so often in marriage, what happens when things are getting difficult, we get to the, no, but you owe me. I've been doing the stuff. I've been trying to be faithful. You owe me. Well, that's not what this text is saying. The saying is you make sure, as much as it depends on you, you make sure that you are giving to your spouse what will meet their need. You make sure you're giving to them the affection that is due them. This is not just talking about a pure act of sexual, sexuality. It's talking about needs that go beyond that. All of the needs that are tied into intimacy and relationship. And he goes on in verse 4 and he says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body. So you don't stop reading in the middle of a sentence, right? That's bad, men especially. You don't stop there, right? For the wife does not have authority over her own body, so I can make her do whatever I want. But the husband does, right? That's not what it says. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You need to read the whole verse, and you need to get it in context. You need to understand what it's saying. Now, let me tell you what it's not saying. It's not saying, I can do to my wife whatever I want, because she does not have authority over me, over her body. I have authority over her body. And so we're not talking about sinfulness. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about things where our eyes aren't on the Lord and he's not first. We're going to come to that next week. Next week's message, uh, Lord willing, is um, when marriage is a gross thing. We're going to talk about some of the failures that can happen and how when people take their eyes off the Lord. And we're going to talk about abuse in marriage and something people have to have put up with and stood for and wrong advice that's been given. And that's all for next week. But here... Sue, you don't have authority over your body. I'm not saying this to her. I'm saying what the scripture says, okay? I'm not going, she's not going anywhere good when we get home. If I say, you do not have authority over your own body, I do, okay? Yeah, that's a bad plan. The scripture says she doesn't have authority over her body, I do. But it doesn't stop there. Paul, you don't have authority over your own body, she does. See, that's mutual submission. That's the submission that God desires. That's when you get your part right. You get your part right and you stand for your part. Well, what if the other person doesn't? Okay, well, let's just talk about Jesus then. Let's talk about his submission and what he did in this picture for us. When you didn't get your part right at all and his faithfulness in submission and his faithfulness to come under and his faithfulness to do what needed to be done 
The wife doesn't have authority over her own body. The husband does. Likewise, the husband. Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what we're talking about. That's the submission we're talking about. Ephesians 5, 25 to 29. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, but he who he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. I don't have authority over my body, she does. She doesn't have authority over her body, I do. See, it runs against our whole society. It runs against everything you hear outside of the walls of this church. But it's exactly what God calls us to. And it's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us so we can have salvation. It's the submission that Christ came under. He's in heaven. He comes. He surrenders. He doesn't stop being God, but he surrenders. He comes. He sets aside. He submits. Why? So that he could love you. When you didn't love him, he kept on loving you. He came, he lived a perfect life for you that you didn't live, that you couldn't live. He came and he hung on a cross to pay a price that you couldn't pay. That's the submission. He came and he suffered. He gave it all up so you could have eternal life. And then he gave it to us as a gift. Didn't make me earn it when I didn't deserve it. And I received the gift by faith and I have eternal life. That gift's available to everyone in the room today. By faith alone in Christ alone. But the reality is the picture of his submission and what he was willing to do for you. Okay, guys, you doing that in your marriage? Is that the heart of your marriage? Is that where you're going with your spouse? Ladies, same thing. Is that the heart of your marriage? Is that the passion of your marriage? Is that the desire of your marriage? Take that part of that verse 4 that belongs to you and look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for you. And then with God's help every day, best I can, I want to live that out for the glory of Jesus Christ. Verses 5 to 7. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That idea of do not deprive one another, do not stop having sexual relations with each other, so we don't use sex as a tool or a weapon or to manipulate. Don't do that. If you're doing that, get off that plan. It's a terrible plan. It's destroying marriages. But he does give this opportunity Use a strong word here. Do not deprive one another. Withholding or manipulating or using sex as a tool means to defraud. That's what the word means. Do not deprive or do not defraud or literally do not cheat them out of something that should be in a relationship. Don't do it. 
don't do it. I'm not saying there aren't times when sinfulness is involved, and that's next week's message, but I'm talking in general, in our lives, in our walk. What? But there is a time to say no. There is a time when it's okay to say no. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So even if there is a time when we say no, we'll talk about that, but it's only for a period of time and then it comes to an end and then you get back at it because if you don't get back at it, temptation's going to get in the way, things around us are going to start to distract us, we're not going to end up in a good place. But there are times when it's okay to have a fast from sexual relations. I would say it's the same. There's lots of times when it's good to have a, a, a physical fast and we don't eat food and we... Well, what? So we can pray about something. And so you might take a time, you might take a week, you might take a few days, you might take a whatever it is because of a situation that's going on in your life. Maybe it's a significant decision about work and you've got to decide and, and we're going to fast and pray. And in our fasting and praying, we're going to do this as well. We're going to set this aside for this period of time so we can get our focus set on one thing. And so we can pray. And so we can pray. It's not because I don't feel like it. It's not because, oh, I've got a headache tonight. It's not like, a, you know, I'm going to fast. We're going to pray. And we're going to set this aside for a period of time because of a decision we need to make, a, a difficult thing that's going on with one of our kids, a whatever it might be. But even in the text, he gives us three conditions that need to be set if we're going to abstain. Here's the first one. It must be by mutual consent. It's not wrong to do it. As a matter of fact, it's right to do it, and it's probably good to do it in the right circumstances, but it must be done by mutual consent. Don't deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement. That's number one. Number two, for a good object. The good object in this verse is saying a limited time to devote yourselves to prayer to devote yourselves to finding God's will, to devote yourselves to getting our focus on to the right thing. We're struggling with finances. We've overstretched ourselves. We're living beyond our means, and we understand that we've got to get this fixed, and so for a period of time, we're going to pray. Mutual consent for a good objective, and it's temporary. It's temporary for a limited time. For a limited time. Well, that's the context. That's the text we come from. And now let's move into some putting some meat on some of the bones here of all the things we've just kind of hit at. And so getting personal, let's look at the consequences. There's some key words that I think needs to be explored as we think about our marriage and what God has called us to and um, or purposes that have marriage. What are the consequences of that day you stood in a church and you said, I do? What's the consequences of the, you made these vows with each other. What are the consequences? And here's the number one consequence I wrote down was the word faithfulness. Faithfulness, verse two, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Faithfulness. On May the 26th, 1979, 39 years ago, yesterday, I stood in a church. I made my vows. I made my commitments to Sue, and I committed to be faithful to her. Faithful to her. Are you faithful? Now, it's a struggle in the world we live in. 
because there's so many other things out there that can distract us. But are you faithful to her? Ladies, are you faithful to him? That's a consequence of the commitment that you made to each other, that you would be faithful. We'll come back to what that looks like, how broad that becomes, but to be faithful. She's, she's the one and only for me of the billion, two billion, three billion, whatever it is, women who are in the world. When I made my vows, when I made my commitment, she's my one and only faithful. Faithful. And again, maybe, maybe you haven't been. Maybe that's not your story. And again, we see God's redemptive work and the hope that we can have in Jesus Christ. And my thing is not to beat up somebody who's already dealt with this in their life and are moving forward. That's God's grace and that's God's mercy and that's God's forgiveness. But that's not what God wanted. God desires faithfulness. Another consequence of getting married and having sexual relations is making babies. Making babies, that's part of the reason you got married. It's, it's in Genesis, that was the purpose, to, to, to fill the earth. It's part of marriage. Um, I hear people from time to time say, we're not going to have kids. We just, you know, feel that uh, that's not really for us and we're not going to do it and I'm just telling you you're on shaky ground biblically for that. I, I don't find it in Scripture. I can't really support it, argue it from Scripture. Um, is it evil? You're going to have to work that through with the Lord. I'm just telling you what the Bible talks about in marriage, and part of it is, is, is reproducing. And um, So you need to work that through in your marriage. I realize there are people in the room who just absolutely wish they could get pregnant. And they've been working at that thing and working at that thing and working at that thing and they're not getting pregnant and they've been to the doctor and they've tried everything from sideways but they just can't get. Your marriage is not a failure if you can't get pregnant. It's not a failure. God in his time and his way is working and he will get the glory in all of this and I just want you not to feel like our marriage, if they're supposed to be making babies, the pastor said we're supposed to be making babies and we can't. It's one part of marriage. It's not the only thing that there is in marriage. And if you can't, then trust the Lord. There's couples in our church that as a result of that have adopted kids, and I'm so thankful for people who would do that. And, um, but you haven't failed. You just be faithful to what God's called you to, and you allow him to do that work. And Faithfulness, making babies. Here's another consequence. Pleasure. Really, Pastor? Sex is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be awesome. It's supposed to be amazing. Well, do you have a Bible verse for that? Well, not that says that exactly. But I've got about a hundred verses that talk about the warning of sexuality and why? Because it's pleasurable. This is the will of God, even your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Why would you need to abstain from anything if it wasn't to be pleasurable and enjoyable and wonderful? It is all those things, but if you're not married, it's not yet. God designed it for inside of marriage. That's where it was designed for. And it's to be pleasurable. 
Even in our text, it says, but because of the temptation, all eyes are temptation. Who gets tempted by something that's awful? But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. And down in uh, verse 9 of the same text, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. Why? Because sex is great. It's a good thing. Just do it. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a grateful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. The Song of Solomon is a great picture of sexuality and how pleasurable it is. And it is, and it's good, and it's wonderful, and it's for inside of marriage. But it's a great thing. So if you're married, go for it. Do it. Not just to make babies, but because there's pleasure. Okay, got past that. <laughs> Getting a little nervous here. Consequence of uh, getting personal is this mutual piece. We've talked about it, so I'm not going to really dive back into it much here, but is that versus the three and four part? The husband should give to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife doesn't have authority of her own body, and the husband does have authority over his body. And is that how you view your marriage? Is that the way you look at your marriage? Do you look at your marriage through God first? For sure. But then do you go, what you want? What you want? Yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand what my husband's like. No, I don't. You don't understand what my wife is like. No, no, I don't. I know how messed up I am. And I know Sue's not perfect either. But I know this. When I get that right, I watch what God does and how God works. And you see, here's the reality in this, this submission piece. Jesus submitted everything for you when you didn't even want it. He submitted for you regardless of what your response. He came to earth. He did all of this. We didn't even want him. That's the picture in our marriage. So God helping us. God help us that as a consequence of the I do's and the commitments we've made to a mutual Mutual submission, that's when it works the best. And one more word here, and that's the word trust. One of the consequences of marriage is trust. Trust is made between two people, and breaking that trust is devastating in a marriage. Breaking that trust through wandering eyes, breaking that trust through flirting, breaking that trust through pornography, breaking that trust through sexual immorality. And the trust switch gets flicked off. And I'm sorry, and even brokenness, and even true repentance doesn't immediately turn the switch back on. Now, thankfully, by God's grace and his mercy and his ability to heal and restore, the trust can, be, it can come back, can be brought back. But it doesn't happen like that. Because trust is broken. That switch is turned off. I tend to think of it this way. You flick the switch off, but it's like a dimmer switch coming back on. That's off, and as slowly as through faithfulness and all the rest, it starts to get rebuilt, and trust is restored, and, and God can do amazing restorative work. And if that's your story and that's where you are, do not be hopeless. There is hope for you. 
but it comes through true repentance. It comes through forgiveness. Forgiveness is an action that happens, but it's a process that goes on. And that's why trust is rebuilt over time. Repentance and forgiveness and and reconciliation and then faithfulness and the light of trust comes back on. But when when I said I do, there was a trust that's between us that we dare not break that trust. Because it's what God has given us, this relationship. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. So there are consequences. When you got married, there's some things that were part of the deal, and they're great things, and they're wonderful things. And, but getting personal has to do with our character. It has to do with our character. A long time ago, I read a book uh, by a guy named Ed Young. It was called The Ten Commandments of Marriage. And in it, he does an acrostic on the word mature. And so when you're thinking about this in the context then of about... Of, um, of relationships and God working in these things. And he did this illustration out of the word mature that would help us in our character. And the M stood for motivated. Your marriage needs to be motivated by hard work. When things are hard, when circumstances are difficult, you want to see intimacy grow? It's, it's when you're motivated and when you hang in there and when you work hard in your marriage. Um, when the circumstances are difficult or when things are changing and as I'm leaning in time guys you wonder why your wife sees a little bit standoffish and you're not leaning in when it's hard well that's why or it's one of the reasons why and you need to be faithful to that and you need to work hard in your relationship and you know we go through all kinds of difficulties in our lives when we we we're going to make a move or moving from one part of town to another or across the country or do you work hard at communication and for them to understand and are they coming along you want you want to have a good side on the intimacy side well then make sure you're communicating well through the difficult things you're working through your kids are going off to school and and one or both of you are struggling with that are you there to lean on each other and help each other with God's help you're going through a medical thing are you standoffish and you're gonna have to get through this on your own because I can't handle it right now or whatever it might be we're motivated to hard work to stay with it here's another word the word a is attentive attentive hey guys are you attentive to your wife don't look her in the eye right now you might get an elbow right in the head um but are you attentive to her? Here's, here's a couple ways you could be attentive to her. Um, how about um, saying, I love you? Do you say it? Now, it's easy for me to say this one because I say it all the time. I might even say it too much, but I say it all the time. Um, you say it. You tell your wife that you love her. Do you tell her privately that you love her? You look her in the eye and say, it's not, it's not private, right? It's private except there's 400 people watching. <laughs> Say, I love you. Do you do that? It's not that hard. It's just three words. Do you do it privately? Do you do it publicly? I do it publicly all the time, too. It's a good thing to do. I really don't get a choice when I'm preaching. I'm looking her in the eye. It's kind of public, right? But do you say it publicly to your wife? Do you say it about your wife when you're at work? Does everybody in your workplace know how much you love your wife? They should. They better. You want to protect your marriage? 
you make sure everybody in that workplace knows, man, that your wife is the only apple of your eye in this area. Women, same thing. Do you say it? Well, I'm not big about words. Say it anyways. Because she probably needs to hear it or he probably needs to hear it. We do it. Privately and publicly. Do you show it? Do you show it privately and publicly? Do you do things just because you love him or you love her? Not even looking for them to even notice or say anything. You just do it. Come home and well, I'm not my job to empty the dishwasher. So what? Just do it. Not my job to do the laundry. So what? Just do it. And don't look for a response and don't look, just, just do it. And then don't go telling everybody what you did privately. And do you throw a show through actions publicly? Motivated attitude. Here's another thing, tender. I think it's a book title, His Needs, Her Needs. We are very different. We're going to come back to that in a second as well. But are you tender with your spouse? See, it's so easy once we get to know somebody, it can be some, so easy just to become harsh and hard and you become sloppy and you're thinking, you know, I've been married for 10 years, I've got her all figured out and you're just, you're not thinking tender anymore. You're not thinking about what she needs or you're not thinking about what he needs. You're not putting their priorities first and God help us to be tender. The you and the R I just put together and to understand and respectful. Um... When it comes to intimacy, what does your partner desire in intimacy? What do they want? What do they desire? Not abusive, not coercive, not pressured, but what in their heart, what do they want? And are you willing to do that? And then uh, be excited. Be excited for your spouse. And tell them regularly you're excited about them. Always kiss, kiss me goodnight. Always kiss me good morning. Be excited about this amazing gift that God gave you. And uh, when you get sloppy in your thinking or careless in your act, then get back to what it was and be excited about the gift that God has given to you. I read a quote this week, said this, relationships grow silent before they grow cold. Relationships grow silent before they grow cold. Silence can be words, silence can be active, but things just start to get sloppy. I, I'm not paying attention like I used to. And, and then you wonder why the light's not burning like it used to burn. Maturity. What kind of character are you demonstrating in your relationship? And then one more area. Getting personal, the commitment. What is the commitment? What am I committed to? Here's the first one we've already talked about, but it's communication. I'm, communicated to, I'm com committed to communication. I'm going to express my love to you um, however I can do that, however it's needed. I want you to know that you are amazing. God gave me an amazing gift. But pastor, it's hard right now. Go home and make a list. Make a list of 10, 20, 50, 100 things that, you know what, I, I love my wife for this. And stop talking about the stuff that's, that's a struggle for you and start talking about the gift that you have. And put the emphasis there. And focus there. Um, and communicate with each other. Talk about that your spouse in the sense of just who they are as a person and in their character and in their beauty and 
She says to me sometimes, she says, you're so good for my ego. Right? Yeah. Okay, I'm not talking about ego in the bad sense of that term. But your wife needs to know, your spouse needs to know that you're my one and only. You're my one and only. You need to communicate. You need to communicate. Another commitment is to purity. Speak here, one word I would say here is exclusivity. There is no one else. There's no one else socially. When I'm out at work, when I'm out, I'm with other people. I'm not flirting with people. I'm not playing around out there. There's, it's you. It's you. And I want everybody to know it's all about you in our marriage. Emotionally, it's you. I'm not emotionally attached to other people in an unhealthy way. Physically, it's you. Mentally, my eyes are fixed on you. Some people are like, yeah, but, but because of the problems I've had in the past, because of pornography or because of whatever it might be, because of flirting, because of whatever it is, because of adultery, because of it, my mind is filled with all these thoughts. Here's what I know for sure. You, you get that dealt with before the Lord. You get it dealt with before the Lord. And the further you get away from that, the foggier and foggier and foggier, is foggier a real word? The more foggy it becomes. And those things start to disappear, but every time you turn it back up again, and every time you raise it back up, it's back in the front of your mind again. Purity. Another commitment is to forgiveness, both ways. Willing to forgive. No enduring relationships without forgiveness. We say it around this church a lot. I'm willing to forgive. Offer it freely. But, but does, it, does that mean everything's fine again? No, it doesn't mean everything's fine, but we're going to get on a road to get everything fine again. And we're going to get the trust built back up, and we're going to have hope again, and it's going to work out. Because God is going to be our strength. He is going to be our helper. We're going to work our way through this. Forgiveness. Commitment to wanting the best for your partner. This is hard because we are, at the core of who we are, we're selfish people. But I want what's best for you. So I want what's best for you. No, I want what I want. The Lord didn't do that. I want what's best for you. God, help me to do that. And God, help me to do it a little bit better every day as I grow up in Jesus Christ. So if you find yourself sitting there going, are you kidding me? Well, your issue's not with me. Your issue's not even really with your spouse. Your issue's really with the Lord. You want what you want. It's never going anywhere good in your marriage. It's never going good in your relationship with him. I want what's best for you. You know, when it comes right down to the act and the activity of sex, the people have to distinguish and talk about frequency. People have different needs, and um, there needs to be compromise made, and you need to be thinking about the other person and what they want and what they need, which really leads me to the last word in this, and that's the word intimacy. See, God made us so different. I laugh at us sometimes how different God has made us. Um, when it comes to intimacy, what expectations are and what that word even means are very different for people. Now, in general, I realize this, this rule will not be 100%, but 99.9% .9 of the time, if you ask a man, spell intimacy with another word. It's easy for him. He only has to remember three letters. S-E-X. Intimacy. 
And, and the wife is like, what are you talking about? That's such a puny little piece of intimacy. And he goes, are you kidding? That's everything. Okay, we're made different. You ask her, how do you spell intimacy in another word? And she might use this word. She might say, um, T-A-L-K. We just need to talk. And the guy's like, are you kidding me? What a waste of time that's going to be. Right? We're different. And expectations are different. Or maybe she would spell it. She wouldn't be talk. Maybe it would be R. E, relationship's too long to do that with, but. Uh, and she goes, I just, want to, I just want to walk with you holding hands and talking while we go. That would be incredible. And you're like, are you kidding me? Can't we just get home? See, we're different. And intimacy is spelled differently. And it's understood differently. And we need to understand each other. And we need to work on this. And we need to work at this so that God will get the glory in it. And looking at what the other person needs and how do we work this out. I'm not, there's no how-to manual coming out of this message today. But, but you need to be looking at those things. His needs, her needs. We're different. God has made us differently. But it's my heart and my passion to know what Sue needs and meet that need. And it's her heart to understand what I need and to meet that need. See, then we're in a good place with the Lord. Then we're in a good place in our walk and... Intimacy and communication in relationship, intimacy socially, intimacy emotionally, intimacy spiritually. Hey, guys, you want to have a great relationship with your wife? Then get right with the Lord in your walk and do the things that honor Jesus Christ. You want to turn her crank? You get excited about Jesus Christ. Intimacy physically, outside of sex, intimacy sexually. Two more sentences, then I'm going to say, so what? A word to the men. Your wife never wants to feel used. Your wife never wants to feel used. At the end of a sexual encounter, she shouldn't be there. Well, I guess he got what he wanted. I guess he got what he wanted. Don't use her. Don't you dare use her. That's not submission. That's not mutual submission. That's not I want what you want. That's I want what I want, and it's selfish, selfishness, and it's sinful, and it's wrong. And the second sentence is a word to the wives, ladies. Your husband does not want to be manipulated. So don't use sex as a tool to get what you want. Don't manipulate. But rather, what's best? What's best for him? And guys, what's best for her? Well, so what? So what? God has given us this amazing gift. This amazing gift of sensuality, this amazing gift of, of sexuality, this amazing gift of intimacy. And it's a gift for inside of marriage. So what have you heard today that as you go out the door, you're like, yeah, we need to talk about that. Honey, let's go for a walk this afternoon. Okay, she's going to faint. Pick her up and pop her out the door. We need to talk. We need to figure some things out. I, I've been selfish. I've been arrogant. I've been proud. 
I've been self-serving. Whatever, whatever the Lord's putting on your heart. Or I haven't led like I should. God, God helping me, I want to do that better. Um, uh, wives, I want to meet your, to the husband, I want to meet your needs. Help me to understand that I'd better do that in a way that would bring glory to Jesus Christ. And if need be, then get to the place of confession and repentance and forgiveness growing towards reconciliation and faithfulness that God truly would be glorified in your marriage. Marriage is a getting personal thing. And this is the place that God designed it. Use it for his glory. Let's stand together. We want to close our service with prayer. Father, we thank you for your word today and your working through your word and the power of your spirit to help us with these things. Father, you give us us in relationship this part of marriage. We talked about marriage is a a God thing and marriage is a good thing and marriage is a growing thing and marriage is a grace thing. Marriage is also an intimacy thing, Lord, and this needs to be given to you and surrendered to you and allowed to be used that you would be glorified. So, Lord, I pray that the nugget that I, I needed to hear, the nugget that each person who's married in this room needs to hear, Lord, they would take it and they would apply it. They'd have the courage to have the discussion that needs to happen. And for the person who's wondering in the room, are they going to get married and who that person's going to be? And then, Lord, would these principles be principles that would be foundational for them, that they wouldn't compromise, they wouldn't set aside what you have? And, Lord, for the person who feels maybe a little bit like a failure now, not to allow the evil one to tear in and destroy what you've already done and dealt with and are rebuilding, if confession's needed and restoration's needed and sin needs to be dealt with, then, Lord, deal with that. But for the person who's already dealt with that, Lord, would they just rejoice in your good hand and how you work all these things together for your glory? Lord, we thank you for our church, the fact that we can even have this discussion. And we ask, Lord, that you would use the truth from your word to bring glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name.